With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Patrick Magnus of Over the Monster in the Dynasty Guru. Uh, this is your April 21st edition of the show, and we will discuss on this show uh, the call-up of Michael Chavis, the injuries to Dustin Pedroia and Nathan Eovaldi, as well as some pretty encouraging developments uh, from the Red Sox. So first of all, Patrick, how are you? Jake, I'm great. Um, there's a chance we might sweep the Rays. This is fantastic. Yeah, so Patrick and I are recording this uh, in the eighth inning of the Red Sox-Rays game on Sunday. So uh, right now they're leading 3-2. to two. So hopefully nothing catastrophic happens while we're on here recording the podcast. Yeah, no um, no late Yandy, uh, Yandy Diaz home runs. Uh, let's just make it less stressful if we can. As, as less stressful as one run lead can be anyways. Yeah, this whole series has been a real nail-biter. So let's get, get right into it here. Um, so Pedroia uh, headed to the IL uh, earlier in the week um, with a pop that he heard in his left knee. Uh, Eduardo Nunez uh, headed to the IL with some back pain, and the Red Sox brought up Michael Chavis, their top prospect, according to most lists, and Suwei Lin to replace them on the roster. Um, so I guess the big name here is is Michael Chavis. Um, so what are your thoughts on these guys in terms of uh, what type of a job they can do replacing the production that they were getting at second base, or I should say weren't getting at second base? So I'm really interested in what kind of playing time is going to sh- uh, shape up for um, Chavis. Uh, I'm really high on the bat. Um, I think that it could be uh, a source of, of power that um, he kind of sort of reminds me of Dan Ugla a little bit. If you look at him, he's kind of short and jacked um, like Ugla was. And um, I'll just be curious about how much playing time he's going to get at second base. Did he start at second today? Yeah, he did. And he actually turned a double play today. Whoa. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about him. Um, you know, I worry about the defense. Um, you know, Lynn is going to probably get most of the starts, but Shavis uh, could easily play himself into the lineup on an everyday basis. Yeah, I think you hit on a couple things that are interesting there. First of all, Lynn is just going to come up here and provide really, really stable defense. Um, he's been up with the Red Sox a number of times, and when he's up, he performs really. Well, with the glove, uh, and he's a guy that on days that Chavis starts, um, he can come in as a late inning replacement too if the Red Sox have the lead. So that's a really good luxury. But we got a little glimpse of what Michael Chavis can do with the bat uh, in Saturday's just completely epic game uh, that the Red Sox played against the Rays, um, where it ended up being five to five, and Chavis had that huge double off Jose Alvarado. 
a 99.2 mile an hour pitch uh, that he ended up cleaning out, um, which was just super impressive for a guy uh, coming up in his first major league at bat in a pinch pinch hit situation uh, late in a game against the first place team in the division. It was really really something something to watch. Yeah, it was. Um, that was a beautiful swing too. And then it looked like uh, Kiermaier got kind of crossed up, um, which is a really seems like a rare mistake for him out there in uh, center field. But uh, it was great. I think it left the bat at like 109 miles per hour. So uh, he's got some thunder. And if you look at, at like the steamer projections, uh, they have him with 22 at bats this year, <laughs> small amount of bats. But they give him a home run and almost a 200 ISO. Um, <laughs> nice. So <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that what we have to talk about here is um, that this is, I think, going to be a pretty substantial upgrade, this duo, over what we were seeing before, because uh, Eduardo Nunez has been struggling the entire year. He's got a negative WRC+, plus, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's basically been a, a zero with the bat, and then his defense is just not good at second base. Um, and, and we saw that right before he went on the IL, um, he had an error that cost the team a run. We've kind of seen that throughout the year. So with Lynn, you get great defense, and with Chavis, you get some pop. So I think it's uh, it's going to be a huge improvement. Totally agree. Um, I, you know, obviously he is a young kid, and you worry about um, just first season uh, in the majors, but. Regardless, you know, we've talked about how big a hole uh, second base has been in the lineup. Uh, so, yeah, I think the situation has improved just uh, 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 just with his arrival. Yeah, this is one of the big holes that we were uh, we were talking about when we were diagnosing the problems on the team. So uh, it's a good thing. Um, Pedroia did get some good news in regards to his knee, though. Uh, he's going to be back, he says, after the uh, 10 days on the I.L., um, apparently the doctor said that that popping sound that he heard in his knee is normal, <laughs> um, which is really, uh, weird, but, um, you know, yeah. I've never had knee cartilage <laughs> replacement, so I can't speak to that. Um, but my question for you, Patrick, is, um, do you believe that, Pe- that Pedroia is actually going to be healthy and like able to play daily when he comes back? Uh, no, I'm too much of a, uh, I have too much cynicism in me, uh, too much New England, I think. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, do not think that he can be an everyday player anymore. Um, he, he just looks like a shell of himself out there on the field. Um, it, honestly, it just kind of makes me sad to watch him play. I know he's worked so hard to get back, but man, it just, uh, is brutal right now. Now I don't I don't think that his knees are going to let him play back to back games um, on a regular basis for the Red Sox. Yeah, and in that I'm kind of with you. Um, let me just say that right off the bat, I really doubt Pedroia's ability to stay healthy and uh, stay on the field and and contribute in a meaningful way um, to the team. And I just think that this knee thing. Is just it might prove to be the end of his career. Certainly is starting to look like that. You don't want to bury the guy before he actually, you know, does everything he can do. Um, especially since he's been such an important part of the team for all these years. Um, but I'm pretty skeptical. Um, and I think the bigger question for me is like, when these ten days are up, who does Pedroia actually replace 
on the roster uh, because if Chavis is hitting, if he's adding an offensive spark, it's going to be really tough to take that guy away. And then Lynn gives you so many more uh, possibilities defensively um, than Pedroia or Nunez do. Um, he can play outfield. He can play all the infield positions. Uh, it's it's a really difficult case to make that either Pedroia or Nunez um, deserves a spot on this roster over the two guys that are up right now. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, I, if I had to guess, I would imagine that both Shavas and Lynn will be back in the minors um, for a bit, at least, uh, until... <laughs> You know, Chavis proves that he does not belong there at all, and the Red Sox get desperate enough <laughs> uh, until Bedroya's hurt again. So I, I do think that when push comes to shove, both these guys are headed back to the minors, but I don't necessarily think that's the way it should be. <laughs> um, you know, just based on the things that you said and the, the, the hole that has been that spot in the lineup. So we'll see. Yeah, a core is going to have a difficult decision to make um, when that happens because um, the team is starting to kind of click right now. And, you know, we're at the point, I don't know where we're at in the eighth inning right now, but, um, you know, we could potentially have a sweep of the, uh, oh, they're tied it up. Um, so, but, <laughs> but still, potential. Um, for yep. for that them to uh, accomplish that, Ooh, wow, run off Matt Barnes. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the second one in two days. If if they start to roll with these guys in the lineup, it's going to be pretty difficult for a team that's already underperformed this year to um, make any changes if if it's starting to work. So I don't know. It's going to be something to think about. That's for sure. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, it's sort of uh, off the, the the main trail here for a second. Do you is there anyone in the bullpen that, that makes you more nervous than Heath Hembry? Um, let me think about that. Um, anybody in the bullpen? <laughs> when, he, uh, when he came into the game yesterday, yeah, um, to try to like sort of get. Porcello out of that like mini jam he got himself into. Um, I was dying inside. <laughs> I, I was so nervous. I don't trust him at all. Uh, I will say the one guy I trust less than him is Tyler Thornburg. Yeah, Thornburg's got the the velocity though, and um, you know, and he has a history of being good. Henry <laughs> doesn't even have that. No, Hembry has always been kind of a turd. Um, I don't really get why Hembry or Thornburg are on the roster. I guess it's because they just have no one else right now that they think is better than them. But, you know, I think I could make a pretty decent argument that um, a whole number of guys down at the minor leagues are better than those two. So, yeah, I'm with you. I was petrified when he came into that game, and... I mean, look at what happened. That was clearly the wrong decision in yesterday's yesterday's tilt. Yeah, um, it was scary. Yeah, so so during that time, Hembry comes in right after Rick Porcello immediately gives up a run. Um, Bobby Pointer gives up a run right after that, and then Matt Barnes gives up a run uh, later on. So you know you're 
two runs right away off of weak links that probably shouldn't have been in the game. I wouldn't have put, first of all, I wouldn't have put Hembree in the game right after Porcello. I would have probably gone to one of my stronger options. I would have certainly gone to um, Matt Barnes when Bobby Pointer was put in the game. That I would have I would have used him earlier in in such an important contest. Yeah, it was um, Pointer was just a matchups play, right? I mean, he's just doing his job coming in as the lefty. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what Core was doing. Yeah, he was. Um, Pointer just didn't look great. Um, you know, he he doesn't have any outstanding stuff right now, and I think that that's kind of an issue. So let's talk about the bullpen a little bit more. Um, did this game to you highlight any more concerns of lack of depth at the bullpen? Because we've already mentioned a few of the names that aren't so great um, in Hembry and Thornburg and, um, you know, Pointer when he's up right now. Um, Hector Velasquez is, is sort of hit or miss. Um, Colton Brewer can be hit or miss as well. He looked great today. Marcus Walden is sort of an up and down guy. Um What's your level of worry with this unit? Oh my god, I'm having a panic attack right now just thinking about it. I <laughs> I know that they have performed well um and that you know the, the whatever momentum we've created, you know, kind of is on the backs of the bullpen at this point based on the performance of the starters. But just on paper it's terrifying and like watching like I don't feel comfortable with anybody. I don't feel comfortable with anybody out there. Um yeah, I, Walden is interesting. Um, his, I think it was you that said that um, all of his pitches have a ton of movement on them. It just makes me nervous because uh, he has trouble locating them. Um, yeah, I, I'm terrified of that whole bullpen. Yeah, I think in terms of confidence right now, I would rank it Barnes, Brazier. Uh, after him, I'm probably going... If we're counting Longman, Velasquez, then Workman. No, probably Workman, then Velasquez, then Brewer, then Walden. And then it sort of like completely drops off for me. Uh, and I have no confidence in Hembry, Thornburg, or Pointer, or anybody else. Yeah. Uh, and and the strategy of only using um, Brazier and Barnes for high leverage situations I, I think they need at least one more guy that they can trust like that in the bullpen in order for it to be um, you know stable <laughs> I really think they need at least one more solid guy in there to make that strategy work long term yeah and they have um, you know a couple more guys on the 40 man uh, down at AAA who they could try um, they could try the lefty Josh Taylor um, who's you know kind of a older guy at this point he's 26 and he still hasn't gotten a whole lot of time up in the major leagues i'm not even sure if he's debuted yet um it, but lakins is another guy but lakins hasn't really been right this year in terms of stuff or velocity and i guess the conditioning was a little worse for him so he hasn't been a great option you really have to look all the way down to uh durbin feltman and darwins and hernandez down at double a for guys who could come up and make an impact over over guys like that yeah, and do you think we'll see either of them up in the majors this uh, this season? I think we'll see both up in the majors this season. I just hope that it's sooner rather than later. It seems like 
um, the more likely of the two to make it up um, soon is is Feltman because he really doesn't have almost anything to work on anymore. Um, but I think Darwinson still needs to work on his control, and they've been still continuing to try him as a starter. So um, it seems like seems like Feltman would be the guy, and I think. I don't really know what they're waiting for with him. I don't think there's a whole lot that he has to do, and I think that he would be a massive upgrade over most of the guys we named. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, obviously, if there's uh, service time issues, he won't be up. But um, yeah, I'm not totally sure why he isn't up yet either. And as far as uh, Darwinson goes, I definitely think. Um, he could make some spot starts for the team this year and could even come out of the bullpen at the end of the year. Cause they were talking about him, you know, um, as a potential as making the roster potentially in the spring. Um, and he's got electric stuff. Um, just like you said, he needs to harness it, needs to learn to control, but I think that he could get away um, with his stuff in the bullpen. And I think he would be a great addition. Yeah, his stuff is just completely filthy, and uh, it's it's true bat-missing stuff. So you can bring him in there in high-leverage roles, kind of like you do with Barnes, and expect him to um, miss bats with men on base. So I, I really like that option there. Um, let's talk about the starting pitching here a little bit, because since we last talked, Patrick, um, the starting pitching has gotten quite a bit better. We had that... Um, weird Chris Sale start against Oakland that was like good but also bad because his velocity was off. We already talked about that but since we've last spoken um, Rick Porcello threw his first good game on Saturday. Nate Eovaldi pitched really well before getting the bad news about his elbow which we'll talk about in a few minutes Um, and Eduardo Rodriguez and um, David Price have pitched really well for a couple starts in a row so things are kind of looking up there. Yeah, there's been a little bit of promise um, with with Sale sort of getting his velocity back against the Yankees and striking out six, walking one. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that he's going to turn turn things around. And then Erod makes me nervous every time he's out there. <laughs> every every game it feels like a grind to just try to make it through six innings, but um, you know, there's potential there. And Porcello finally looked like himself. Mostly yesterday, uh, you know, Cora pulled the string on him pretty quick when, as soon, you know, after he had um, sort of a, a troubling inning, got out of that. And then um, I think he walked a batter uh, in his last inning and Cora gave him the hook. No problem, because let's get some let's get some positive starts out of these guys. So, yeah, much better, more, at least um, room for optimism. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um yeah, I I think you you kind of nailed it. Definitely room for optimism with all those guys. Um, in terms of sale though, uh, still he's kind of the one that we're waiting for to have a vintage performance because, like you said, uh, Rick Porcello like controlled the walks yesterday, only walked one guy. Um, had five strikeouts, looked kind of like normal Rick Porcello, but we haven't seen a sale start yet where he's put everything together. We saw the velo last start, but we didn't see the control or command. Um, and, you know, we saw control and command against Oakland, but we didn't see velo. So it's going to be interesting to see if next start he can kind of put that all together. 
Yeah, I'm I'm very hopeful. I, at this point, I've completely bought into the Red Sox narrative because it's been happening. You know, like I he went from throwing what 89 on his fastball, averaging 89 on his fastball, to to throwing 96 within a few weeks. Um, you know, I, I'm buying what the Red Sox say they're doing here. Do I think it was the right plan? Not necessarily, um, but we'll know that at the end of the year, I guess. Um, yeah. But I am totally buying into um, to sale rebounding here. Yeah, my level Rather of worry about sale has gone down significantly since I saw him throw 97 in that last start. So I've never, never quite seen a pitcher like Chris Sale before, and I probably won't see anybody like him quite again. Um, but he's interesting, man. He's, we pointed that out on Locked On. Uh, we were just talking about how it's just so – weird to see a guy gain velo so quickly but as matt pointed out like he's a guy that does it kind of with his frame and not a guy who does it with you know muscle it's the same way that like a nate eovaldi goes out there and like is just a physical freak who can throw 99 like chris sale is doing this with his long levers yeah he's definitely not using like body mass or anything to produce um the uh, velocity, you know, it's all, all all about that leverage for him. Yep, that's for sure. Um, but we do need to talk about Nate Eovaldi. Uh, we did get some bad news on Eovaldi um, concerning his elbow. Uh, he is headed to the IL with loose bodies in his elbow. Um, he's not positive if he's going to need surgery yet. He did have a similar procedure to this um, where uh, he needed to take, I think it was almost two months off for uh, the surgery, the recovery, and then to get back into a throwing procedure or throwing program, I should say. Um, so my question to you, Patrick, is um, who should replace him if uh, he does end up needing to get surgery? We have a couple options. We have Hector Velasquez, who seems to be the most likely guy. He's been filling in as sort of a, a long man or spot starter. Um, there's also Mike Schwarin who has been pitching really well down at AAA Pawtucket, or would you go with an outside option, maybe trying to sign a guy like Dallas Keuchel? Um, I mean, I'm all for the for signing Keuchel. I, I like Keuchel quite a bit, um, but, you know, depending on what those two teams can work out. So that would be my top option in a dream world uh, to bring him in uh, for a while. Um, however, I, I don't know that you want to tie up – that many years into another starting pitcher um, as the Red Sox have done. So I don't know if it's a realistic option. I really think that what they'll probably end up doing is going with Hector Velasquez um, and just kind of riding it out, depending on how severe the injury ends up being to Evaldi. Um, but Velasquez should, you know, at least be uh, plugged the hole in the ship for a bit. Um, but if it's a, if it's a long term injury, which, you know, um, I believe this is, same injury he had when he was with Tampa, is that correct? Yes, it is. So, you know, there's a strong possibility here that he ends up going under the knife. Um, and what a bummer since they just signed him for four years. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think it's Velasquez. Uh, what do you think, though? I'm curious to get your opinion. Um, if Avaldi is out for the year, is Velasquez enough? No, uh, certainly not. I think if, if he's out for the year, you need to entertain the idea of signing a guy like Keuchel or maybe picking up Gio Gonzalez, who just uh, opted out of his deal with New York or something like that, because 
you need a guy who's going to be able to eat innings. And Velasquez just simply isn't ready for a full starters load right now. I mean, the guy said he couldn't feel his legs after throwing four innings uh, against Arizona his first time out. And then he looked like junk on the uh, Marathon Day game as well. So I just don't think that he's built up enough to be a real starting option. And I think if you're going to be plugging in a guy like Velasquez, you're going to be killing your back end of your pen um, because you're going to be using those guys early in games that he starts. Um, Keuchel has been uh, reportedly willing to take a one-year deal, which makes that quite a bit more interesting too. Um, but... Then again, like you have to think that the Sox might have been willing to offer a high money one year deal uh, to Kimbrel too. Maybe they did, or maybe they weren't even willing to do that. So I'm not sure that they'd be willing to even foot the bill for one year of Dallas Keuchel. It seems far more likely that they'd go with uh, an outside option like a Geo or something like that that's not going to cost them very much money. And like, am I excited about Geo? No, not really, not at this point in his career. But he could probably come out and pitch five to six innings every time, which is something that you definitely need that you're not guaranteed to get from Velasquez. Yeah, actually, Gio would make um, a lot of sense uh, for exactly what we need. Um, So, yeah, hopefully, I mean, yeah, he's you're right. Like you said, for this point in his career, you can't really be excited, but um, you can trust him to – to throw the ball so that's something yeah he's been durable <laughs> if nothing else he'll probably be able to feel his legs after four innings i would imagine <laughs> yeah i think so so out of these two units now we've had i don't know three four weeks of baseball or something three weeks of baseball um which one are you more confident in the rotation or the bullpen <laughs> the rotation can you believe that i'm more confident comfortable the rotation um i just have more confidence that the rotation is coming around and will come around um but that bullpen just seems like such an illusion to me um and i just am uncomfortable every game that is um that when it's turned over to them i get uncomfortable immediately so for me it's the bullpen what about yourself i think it's i'm definitely more comfortable with the rotation than i am the bullpen um I kind of always figured that there was too much talent in this rotation for it to continue to be this bad, and we've already seen that starting to turn as we were talking about on today's podcast. But, I mean, they're going to need to get either really aggressive with call-ups or aggressive at the trade deadline to plug some of the big holes in the bullpen. Um, So, like I've said before on on different podcasts, this podcast locked on, um, other podcasts, um, I am... It just it's befuddling to me that they didn't add to this bullpen because what we're not worried about is Barnes and Brazier, right? What we're worried about is getting to Barnes and Brazier, and we've seen that be a problem early on. So it's only going to be a bigger problem as guys get more innings, and God forbid a guy like Barnes or Brazier gets hurt, I mean, then you're extra screwed, right? Yeah, and if Barnes or Brazier gets her, I don't know what this team does. You can you can see the, a real lack of depth here for um, for such a competitive team. Like once uh once the one of the starters gets hurt, it's really tough to plug a hole pitching wise. Uh, the Red Sox just don't necessarily depth um, to to field a, a competitive rotation or bullpen with injuries. Yeah, certainly not. 
They don't have the depth of a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers or some of these other great teams. So, yeah, or the or the Braves. Yeah, Braves <laughs> you know, who have, have suffered. They've suffered um, a few uh, a few setbacks and injuries for their rotation, but they're so deep in their minor leagues, it's no problem. Well, we are going to be moving on to our listener question segment. Um, but first, before we do that, we have an announcement. Um, the Red Seat podcast is no longer going to be called The Red Seat. Um, as part of us uh, becoming part of a larger uh, network of podcasts here at SB Nation, um, they have decided to name us the Over the Monster podcast. So when you search for us, on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast, you're going to be searching for Over the Monster. Now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Um, there were two Over the Monster podcasts, ours and the original um, that was done a few years ago. Um, so under our podcast, it will say SB Nation, and under the other Over the Monster podcast, it will say just Over the Monster. So click on the one that says SB Nation. And that will be the one that you want to subscribe to. We are working on getting rid of the other one at this point. So there are not two when you search for us. Um, but if you're looking for uh, the red seat, it is no longer findable. So we are now the Over the Monster podcast. R.I.P. Red Seat. I know. Such a great name. It was a great name. All right, let's move on to some happier things. Um, listener questions from you guys. And you always tend to uh, come out with listener questions when we have Patrick on the show. And when we have Keaton on the show, nobody asks any questions. So, yep. <laughs> um, so I'll take it. The people people want to ask me questions. The sure. people really respond to you, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> Our first one comes from Red Sox Unfiltered, and he says, Has Christian Vasquez usurped Babe Ruth as the greatest baseball player in uh, history? No, but the dude can hit some uh, clutch home runs, can he? He, he can. He, uh, he almost had his fourth today, or I think it might have been almost his fifth. I can't remember how many he has, but he put a charge into one today that I thought was going to be out when it came off the bat, too, so... Surprising. He's, uh, you know, he ends the game with his arm. He's playing second base. He's doing a lot of things this year. So, um, not quite better than Babe Ruth, but pretty good. Maybe he worked with JD Martinez uh, in the off season to improve that swing. <laughs> Hopefully, he didn't work with the guy that Jackie worked with because that's not working. <laughs> <laughs> Our next one comes from Jackson, who has wheels with traction, and this is just for you, Patrick, because this weirdo has asked us this same weird question several times in the podcast and keeps asking the weird question. So we will ask the weird question of you. If you have a life-size cheese statue of anyone on the team, who are you picking and why? Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I would probably have to take... Uh, Mookie Betts, simply because he's my favorite Red Sox at this current moment. And if I'm going to have a cheese statue, I'm going to want it of my favorite player and the best player on the team. So what type of cheese would it be made out of for you? Hmm. Uh, maybe some, like, Cabot um, habanero cheddar, Ooh, something like that. Like something, a true Vermont. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah, love it. Okay, good, good pick. 
Next question comes from Ward, and he says, what's the highest price the Sox should be willing to pay for Keuchel? What do you think about that? Oh, I have no idea. Um, I'm so bad at this, uh, putting prices on players like that. Let's uh, say it's a one-year deal. Let's say he... I know. that. I'm thinking like 15 or, or 12. <laughs> I know that seems quite expensive. But I was just thinking about the extension that Chris Davis got. So Chris Davis got an extension for like 12 million. I know they're different players, but for a one-year deal, um, I think you have to. You're probably going to have to pay more. So I think I think something maybe something in that range. I would I would I would probably top it out at 14. 14 for Keiko. That would be my number. Matt Bomford asks our next like question. It. He says, is this the year that Jackie Bradley Jr. finally starts to lose playing time because of his offense? This guy's slashing 148, 197, 180 with zero home runs. Uh, it's just the same old story every season with Jackie. I know, Matt, we are super frustrated with Jackie and his bat. He did have a hit today, I want to say, or yesterday. I can't remember. Um, they all blend together. But... um yeah, Jackie's been brutal, but I don't ever see him losing playing time because of his bat. I just don't know who they'd play over him. What do you think? He's not going to lose playing time. And, um, you know, I would just – I, I want to say exercise patience, Matt and uh, Jake and everyone. Jackie will come around. Just give him give him time. Let him slug – get him – slug himself through this. Uh, he'll start heating up. All right. Patience. Jeff Wax asks our next question. He says, what is the bullpen solution moving forward? Um, I think for me, the bullpen solution starts with adding Durbin Feltman to the roster and ends with quickly adding Darwinson Hernandez and possibly an arm. Well, I definitely think an arm at the trade deadline as well. I think you're going to end up having to use both those guys and a guy that you bring in via trade. What do you think? I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think you need uh, this bullpen right now is is uh, teetering. Uh, it's, it feels like it's it's walking on a tightrope, and I would love to have uh, both those guys up. And um, you know, Kimbrel is still out there. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with him. Who's going to um, sort of show their hand first? But it still remains a possibility. Yeah. I would like to see that. That would be a nice reunion. Um, our next question comes from Colin Preston, or, sorry, Keegan Ernest. And he says, what's the role of Chavis moving forward once Nunez, Holt, and Petey are healthy? Um, I think the easy one here is the one with Holt, right? When Holt gets back, um, the Sox will probably stop carrying 13 pitchers, and they'll send down one of those arms. So he'll just slot in, and we'll have a four-man bench again. But we kind of already addressed the part with Nunez in PD, and that's going to be a big discussion going forward. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think what's going to happen, and I think Chavez just ends up in, back down in the minor leagues to give himself more work and more um, an everyday playing time at second base if that's going to be his future. Um, which, do you think that's going to be his future? Do you think now that he is going to slide into second base potentially uh, full-time uh, at some point this year? I mean, I think I think it makes the most sense. I I don't necessarily think his trade value is 
so high that you know it's you're going to be motivated to move him and if he can play passable second like i think he might be the heir apparent to to pedroia so i don't know kind of kind of starting to believe that that's where he's going to play yeah i believe it that's what i think that eventually happens um, next question comes from Colin Preston. He says, does Dombrowski get too much criticism for emptying the, emptying the farm considering how little those prospects have accomplished? I love this question, by the way. Uh, I think this is the best question that we got today. And I do think that Dombrowski gets too much criticism because aside from the Shaw deal um, with Thornburg, um, I don't think that you can point to a single deal that he has made where you can really say that that wasn't worth it. Um, I think he won every deal. Ooh, uh, I agree. Yeah, I agree twofold. One that he got, he gets too much criticism for emptying the farm. And then also that, yeah, I think he did win the majority of his trades. The Shaw one uh, obviously is the glaring mistake, but I just am so uncomfortable with having, having such a thin farm system, <laughs> you know, I think, um, we, the Red Sox, Red Sox fans in particular have had such a strong farm system for so long that it's just kind of feels, um, revealing not having the, not having depth at all, but hard to argue with the results. Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't feel comfortable, but if we go back, let's just say, let's look at, Oh, the 20, October 2016 prospects list. Okay, on Sox prospects. So number one was Yuan Mankata. Great. He's playing well, but he netted you, Chris Sale. Andrew Benintendi, a star on the team right now. Rafael Devers is number three. He's on the team right now. Jay Groom, number four, still on the team, but dealing with injuries. Uh, number five, Michael Kopech. He helped you get Chris Sale. Um, then you have Sam Travis, who turned out to be nothing at six. Luis Alexander Basabe also helped you get Chris Sale. Brian Johnson on the team. Marco Hernandez on the team but injured. Mauricio Dubon, part of that bad Thornburg trade. Bobby Dahlbeck and CJ Chatham still in the system. Josh Ockamy still in the system. Chavis just played second base today. And then a whole bunch of nothing after that. So I don't necessarily think that he made many bad calls here and if you go back even further to like times when they had Man Manny Margot you know the the trade for Craig Kimbrell that wasn't a bad trade yep. when you look at that either you know it's true it's true I, I mean you're absolutely right and and all the evidence is is on your side I just I just wish that there was more depth for the team it just feels and I get uncomfortable just trading away. Maybe it's just the fact that I've played so much Dynasty Baseball in my life. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, everybody should just focus on that 2018 World Series banner whenever they think about the Thin Farm. And uh, That's true. Know that Dave is doing a, a pretty good job of actually rebuilding that because the depth in the low minors for the Red Sox is certainly a strength of the team right now. Agreed. Uh, next question comes from A... Thice, and he says, do you see someone from outside replacing Eovaldi? Um, I actually I actually do think that's more likely if he is going to get surgery that we bring someone in. Like yeah. Gio. And, yeah, and Gio was a, a, is a great call. 
Um, next question comes from CJ Roberts, and he says, can Chavis catch? Uh, CJ, <laughs> I urge you to go listen to Friday's edition of the Locked on Red Sox podcast where we had on Ian Kundal, and we talked for about 20 minutes about his defense. Um, and also, yeah, he can catch. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, check that out. Um, next question comes from Boston, and he says, do you think that Walden will stay permanently up in the bigs, or is he going to be a back-and-forth guy all year? I see Walden as a back-and-forth guy all year, right? Yeah, for real. He's going to end up going back-and-forth all year, unfortunately. Yeah, he's going to wear out that bus ride. Um, but Walden's awesome, and he's a great story, and, um, you know, one of the better weapons in the bullpen. So I like him. And the only reason why he's the one riding the bus is because he has options. And a bunch of these guys don't. Yeah. Uh, Classic Movie Buff asks us, should the Red Sox replace Hembry with any of the San Francisco fire sale relief pitchers that will be available? Ooh. Patrick, who do you like out there? I like Will Smith um, in San Francisco. I wouldn't mind having him on the team. Um, But the cost, you know, it all depends on the cost. Yeah, I like Will Smith a whole lot. Um, I think if you could get Will Smith for, you know, some sort of a middling prospect or two, um, that that would be a great add to the team. Um, outside of him, Mark Melanson at this juncture of his career is not super interesting. I really do like Tony nope. Watson and Sam Dyson, though. I think that those guys are pretty decent. Um, so I wouldn't mind adding one of them either. Sam Dyson's actually having a really good year so far. Uh, I've been burned by Dyson too many times. I can't get on board with that. Watson, though, I'm on board with. Bring bring over Watson for sure. You you want to know who's uh, actually on their 40 man right now? Uh, <laughs> old friend Williams Harris, who was on the Red Sox last year. <laughs> well, would you look at that? Yeah. Uh, last question comes from California Boston fan, and he says, "How much money does Xander need to make him hustle out of the box? Thirty million or fifty million?" And he's referring to yesterday's sort of weird play when uh, Nate Lowe knocked down that ball that I thought he had no chance to get to, and I don't think Xander thought he had any chance to get to. I don't actually think this is a chronic issue with Xander or anything. It's, he's not one of those guys that I notice not hustling a lot. I mean, I think no, he's right, he, but. Uh, I, I think he's got one of the stronger work ethics on the team, actually. Um, I, I really think that he is a, a, a hustle guy. But, yeah, that was not a great moment yesterday. No. Yeah, when I when I saw that, my gut reaction was like, oh, shit, man, you got to run that out. Like, he easily – we would have had runners at the corners if he had run hard on that play. Um, but, I mean, everybody makes a mistake, um, and certainly Xander isn't immune to those, so – but yeah, pay Xander fifty yeah. million. <laughs> no. Um, all right. Well, that does it for the show. Um, if you enjoyed the show, um, you can go on and rate and review us. We do appreciate that, especially since we are renamed and in, in pretty now. Uh, we have different branding. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter. You can follow Patrick on Twitter at, at the Green Magnus. You can follow me on Twitter at, at DevJake. And you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. And um, we will be with you uh, next week. So thank you, Patrick. 
Hey, you're welcome, Jake. Question before we sign off here. Do you think that the fans of this podcast know what my Twitter handle means? Uh, or what it references? I would hope so. I would hope so, too. But um, I don't know. <laughs> At the Green Magnus, like uh, like the Green Monster, you guys. Come on. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I'm glad we cleared uh, that up. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We'll be with you next week.